welcome to SME Radio. This is the Attaché Mid-Market Matters Show with your host, Craig West. While mid-market businesses are small in number, they punch way above their weight in employees, productivity and growth. Craig finds out what makes them tick and their secrets to building successful businesses. Welcome back to the Attaché Mid-Market Matters Show where we're talking all things mid-market, medium-sized business, what Mike Rich last time called the medium space and talking today with a little bit of a different view on the mid-market from an academic point of view and from a research point of view where we're talking to Professor Adam Steen from Charles Sturt University who's done a lot of work in this area. Adam, hi, how are you? Good, thank you. I thought we'd just start with some basic information and background. Maybe tell us a little bit about yourself and how you ended up in a university doing research on mid-market businesses. My background is I, I had an undergraduate degree in economics, uh, went out to work uh, for one of the big four firms, one of the big four accounting firms. Over the, over the years, ended up um, working back in universities, various universities and business schools around Australia. So prior to joining Charles Sturt, I was at the Mount Eliza Business School. Uh, teaching in the MBA program there. My PhD studies uh, were in finance. Uh, I did a PhD on initial public offerings. And I think it was at that stage where I started getting interested in the the idea of mid, mid-sized, mid-market firms and, you know, started looking at notions around, you know, their performance and the fact that they seem to, uh, you know, disproportionately... Um, outperform uh, larger companies and uh, employ a, a disproportionate number of people given the number of those mid, mid-sized businesses across Australia. So I want to talk a little bit more about that because that's something that obviously everyone that's hearing that's going really wow. Um, so maybe just give us a little bit of overview of what, what that is. Why do you think that happens? Well I think it's the nature of the businesses. When you look at the actual figures you know the, the Bureau of Statistics says there's something like 50,000 um, mid-sized businesses, that is businesses that employ between 20 and 200 people and have a turnover of between $10 million and $250 million. But when you actually look at the number of those, those businesses in that range, if you take out the not-for-profit organisations, such as the large charities and, and welfare providers, you're left with about 25 20 to 27,000 for-profit businesses. Which is quite a small um, number about, in terms of the total number it, of businesses. It is, and it, it's about 1.4% of all the businesses in Australia um, are right. mid-sized profit-making businesses, for-profit businesses. So that's a quite a very, very small sector. It is, but when you actually look at the amount of revenue that they produce, that 1.4% of businesses actually produce 34% of all the revenue of all the businesses in Australia and also employ 23% or thereabouts of all the jobs in Australia. So that's so, why you're talking about massive, disproportionate overperformance. That's right. So they, they are the, the engine that, that powers this country. And I think they've been overlooked by governments for many, many years. Yeah, and th- those numbers are remarkable. When you're talking about 1.4% by number but 34 percent by turnover and 23 percent by employment i mean you're not talking about slightly punching above your weight you're talking about a completely different weight class altogether aren't you yes so i mean government always talks about small businesses employing the, the majority of australian workers which is true they employ more small businesses as a whole 
employ much more people than large businesses. But when you actually look within that SME group, it's the mid-sized firms that actually disproportionately employ a lot of people and produce a lot of the wealth. Are there any, have you got any research or have you got any ideas, perhaps not necessarily research, around why that might be the case? Why are they so successful or so so? So well, easily look, look at the nature of those businesses, and we're looking at companies that are in, you know, transport, warehousing, logistics. You're looking at um, the majority of manufacturing in Australia, as well. They're, they're big businesses, um, you know, food services, accommodation. It, it really makes sense that that's where the majority of people and wealth have been generated in the country. And I, and I think it's government needs to wake up and understand that we need to actually promote these businesses and we actually need to protect them. So it's all very well to say that we're going to have a, a high-tech country, but high technology doesn't employ the vast majority of people. Uh, we need manufacturing. We need transport and logistics and warehousing we need accommodation and tourism and tra- and those kind of businesses and we need industry policy to actually expand those businesses protect the ones that are there expand those businesses and allow those sectors to develop and grow absolutely and look we heard exactly the same message in not quite the same words but exactly the same message last time we spoke to mike rich who is the ceo of Attaché, one of our major sponsors, obviously, but also the founder of the M Institute, which is a, a think tank and, and research institute around mid-market businesses, said exactly the same thing. They outperform, but they're largely ignored by government. And I guess that's something that we need to do something about collectively, because as you said, you know, if you've got a, a sector or an, let's say it was a particular industry that employed 23% of Australia's jobs, the government would be hell-bent on protecting it fostering growth in it, you know, making sure it was successful. It would not let anything happen. But it seems that in the mid-market, we're not able to do that. Is there a reason why government's been so, and I'll use the word, negligent in this space? Yeah, I think there are reasons. I mean, for example, you know, manufacturing in Australia, manufacturing is a dirty word. Manufacturing is considered by, by many people to be old technology, yet it's absolutely essential for any nation to have a manufacturing sector. And our manufacturing sector as a percentage of um, people employed is now the third lowest in the world. Is that right? Um, I think Botswana is, Bots, I think there's only Botswana and some other country employ less people in manufacturing. And that is crazy. You know, peop, and people, there's this misnomer going around that manufacturing is bad. Uh, we can't manufacture in Australia because labour costs are too high. But all the information that we have available to us, all the empirical material that we've looked at, says that labour costs, when you factor in labour productivity, it's no more expensive to manufacture here in Australia than it is meant to manufacture elsewhere. Isn't that interesting? Um, and we never hear that. No, we never and, hear anything and that's about right. That. Yeah, and look, sure, when the dollar was, when the Australian dollar was um, worth $1.15 US, it's unproductive to, to manufacture in Australia. But when the dollar is 76, 77 US cents or 75 US cents, yeah. it, it is actually worthwhile producing in Australia. And it is the regulation and compliance that is killing off people's desire to manufacture in Australia. And I see this, I talk to people in manufacturing each week who have various businesses and 
a lot of them have offshored. They would love to come back to Australia if it wasn't for the compliance. And when you say, well, what about wages? And they say wages aren't an important factor. It's the compliance and the overregulation that they face. Absolutely. I was actually talking to someone this week um, who's the manufacturing manager, I think his title is, for a large electrical firm. Um, they make PowerPoints and boards and you know all sorts of electrical cables, etc. A lot of their manufacturing done in China, and he said that the amount of money that they are spending on compliance, regulation, red tape, etc., far outweighs any cost savings in China. Yeah, same problem. A lot of manufacturers who have gone to Asia are now because of wages have increased, their cost of manufacturing have increased in Asia. They're actually looking for another home and they would love to come back to Australia if they could, if we had governments recognise and understand and adjust the policy accordingly. The other major area I see of growth is in the tourism uh, and accommodation sector. We need to have um, a tourism policy that is actually not just Sydney-centric. It's very easy to sell Sydney to the rest of the world Mm. as 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 a tourism hub, but we need proper tourism planning and development in in other areas of Australia. And that's a massive growing market, isn't it? It is a huge market available to us. We just are totally missing it and totally mismanaging it at the moment. Yeah, and I see, you know, if you look at industry-wise, you mentioned transport and wholesale and a couple of others, manufacturing, etc. Tourism, obviously, is a massive growth area given the growth and increasing prosperity in Southeast Asia. We're not that far away from Southeast Asia as a tourist destination. And let's face it, we've got plenty to offer in terms of a country for tourism. Yep, no, I agree. So I think um, one of the things I'd like to look at perhaps after the break is what are the issues in the mid-market? What do people need to look at? And we'll, we'll come back to that at the end of the break. But I think just to tie off this overperformance, I'm hearing this time and again, I've talked to a number of people and they're all talking about this massive overperformance or punching above your weight or batting above your average or whatever you want to call it for mid-market businesses. But at the same time, in the very next sentence, everybody's saying the same thing, and that is government's just ignoring it. Why is it such a hard thing for government to deal with? A good question. Uh, look, I think I think governments gave up... Um, uh, governments have given up, apparently, on industry policy. You know, you don't want to be held accountable for making up rules and regulations and policy. The idea is that we let the, you know, the mantra of let the free market reign. The problem is that no serious country on earth lets the free market reign. Um, Even the United States, the home of the free market, has regulations. They they back certain industries. They promote certain industries. Um, Just to have a free-for-all in a small open economy like Australia, it just doesn't work. Um, And it flies in the face of of economic reality and it flies in the face of economic theory. It just means that all you're going to do is your businesses are going to get a a hiding in in the international marketplace. Okay, very interesting point. And we're going to look at that a bit more after the break. Um, You're with the Attaché Mid-Market Show and we'll come back after the break with Professor Adam Steen from Charles Sturt University. Thanks for listening to the Attaché Mid-Market Matters Show. Here's a word from our sponsor, Attaché Software. Attaché have a guide that contains 350 business improvement tactics, and it's designed specifically for business owners, managers, and their advisors. To get your copy of the guide, simply contact Attaché Software and mention this podcast. The Attaché Software Mid-Market Matters Show.
Welcome back to Attaché Mid-Market Show, and we're joined today by Professor Adam Steen from Charles Sturt University, and we've been talking about the mid-market, the problems it represents, the issues that it raises, and what I want to talk about now, Adam, is just drill down into that a little bit more around what actually is the mid-market, what do we know about it, what research has been done on it, and then perhaps we can talk about what we need to do going forward. Okay, well, look, there's, there's a lot of research that's been done on, on the mid-market in other areas, particularly in, in the US. Uh, I think it's Ohio State University. They have a mid-market index or report that they do, um, which is you know backed by industry and by the, the US government. They produce that periodically, and it looks at the performance of mid-market firms. So it basically looks at you know how their revenue is tracking, how their employment headcount is going. So are they employing more people? Are they projecting are projected to employ more people in the next you know 12 months? Uh, how confident they are about the local economy and the the regional and national economy? You know, and also look about their proposed investment coming up. And those kind of metrics we don't have in Australia. What we're proposing to do at Charles Sturt, we're forming up a, a, a research agenda in this area to look at uh, to do to, to look at those um, those factors um, to get the information in on the mid market, and so we can say, okay, we know the mid market is disproportionately large in revenue and employment. It's really driving the economy. We need to be on the front foot here. Uh, to to see where the mid market is going, and that'll give us an indication of how the the the, the regional the, the 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 regional economy and the global economy and the national economy is going. I think we we love the buy-in of of mid market firms, mid-sized companies, um, to engage in this kind of research with us, and also to look at the more pragmatic things about you know what policies are affecting them, what what. What are the, the, the issues that are currently affecting the, the growth of these companies? Um, you know, what's what's holding up their development? What's holding up their, their trade? I mean, you know, there, there's, there's I know anecdotally from the stories that I'm told by mid-sized companies, what are the factors that are affecting them? But we, you know, we need hard evidence and we need evidence from a lot of businesses, not just one or two. Right, and that then allows you to do two things, I guess. One, you've got a, a, a set of data that you can track against and an index that you can measure against going forward to determine trends, but also you can highlight to government, here are the issues right here, right now. Here are the problems, absolutely. here are the barriers. Yeah, absolutely. Remove the barriers for these companies to grow. I mean, if, if these companies, you, you, want, you want as many small companies to grow to, to, grow to become mid-sized companies then to increase employment and increase uh, national income and, and and expand the economy. Yeah, absolutely. Given that they're outperforming by ridiculous numbers, the more we have in that sector, the better, obviously. So I guess part of the research is how do we get the companies that are on the borderline up and into the mid-market space, and then how do we protect the ones that are already there and encourage them to grow further? Yeah. And and look, it's it's a mixture of government policy, it's a mixture of management training in some respects. It's also a, it's also a matter of financing. The number of companies that, that I've seen in recent times that are limited in their growth because of lack of access to finance is staggering. And there appears to be little avenue 
for companies to, to get to that next level from that small to that mid mid size because of the lack of funding opportunities. Yeah, no, uh, I know, mean, the lack lack in cost of available funding. Yeah, we I get approached all the time by companies that are looking to raise capital and when I ask them why they want to raise capital, it's not necessarily the right reason. It's because they can't get access to debt funding. So they're a small yeah. business, they use their credit card, they borrowed money from mum and dad, the next door neighbour, the whoever. They've run out of all of that. The bank won't give them any more money, despite the fact that they've done what they said and they've been reasonably successful. But there's just this threshold where access to debt funding becomes quite difficult. So they go down the road yeah. to try and raise equity, which is actually not what they should do. They should be able to, to avail themselves of funding. There's lots of companies that call themselves venture capital funders or angel funders. However, the problem is that what they want uh, in return for, for equity is the blood, sweat, tears and soul and the firstborn of those people who are looking for financing. And I think there's a degree of unreal... There's unrealistic expectations, I think, on both sides. And when you look at, the, say, the VC market in, in the United States, there is really a different mindset. Yeah, I actually took a couple of deals over to the AMNAA conference um, in the United States uh, two years ago now and shown them some of the deals that we'd previously done here in Australia by venture capital firms, all of them thought we were insane. Um, they, they thought the venture capital industry here is just insane. Stupid amounts yeah. of money, um, ridiculous covenants, ridiculous terms of agreements and so on. Deals that the United yeah. States guys said, we wish we had deals like this all day long because they would have funded them with much, much more um, lenient terms to the business owner. What, why have we got yeah. such an issue in that industry here? Is it because of the size of the market or is it something else? Uh, look, I, I think it's... I often see this, you know, some of the clients that you see, they've, they've sold the dad, they've sold granddad's dairy farm. They've got a, a couple of million dollars in their back pocket. They hook up with a with a VC firm or their friends and I'm not wanting to sound too harsh on them, but they just have unrealistic expectations. They think that, um, you know, there's this, there's this idea that, you know, we're, we're going to go in and become business people and we're going to drive these companies and make this massive return on our investment. One is, you know... I think it's education is important. Be realistic about the return that you expect. Be realistic that the fact that you might fund a dozen businesses and only one survive and, and make it, you've got to be realistic about it. You know, you've got to do it, look at the risk involved in lending, you know, commensurate with the returns that you stand to make. Yeah. And I, I think it's just a case of, you know, in the, in the United States, there's that bit more of that attitude, well, Okay, we're going to lose a few. A few aren't going to get over the line. Um, however, the one or two that do get up are going to be very successful. I think there's that basic conservatism, uh, I guess, that underlines that, that particular market. And that, that's, that's, I think, is impeding growth and impeding the availability of finance. Okay, so look, I just want to finish off by talking briefly about the research. You mentioned that we're going to undertake some research. Um, the SME Association's involved in that. Macquarie Bank, obviously... Charles Sturt University and so on as well. Um, I guess the key thing there is how do mid-market businesses or their advisors get involved? Is it something that we're going to have a website they can go on to? Do they call? How do they get involved? Well, look, what, what we've got to do is because we need to make the results of the survey that we do, so the idea is that we'll do a biannual survey, so twice a year, we'll survey a selected group of mid-market firms we need to sort of follow proper research protocols, randomly select companies and invite them to participate. 
because otherwise we, the results won't be generalizable. They mm. won't be, um, you know, we won't be able to say that this, this is a truly representative sample of companies. So if, we, if you do in the, in the near future hear from us and, and get an invitation for us to um, participate in this research, we would love it if you would accept that invitation. Um, of course, all these things have to go through our ethics committee. We have to be very, very uh, scrupulous in terms of ensuring confidentiality of any information that's given to us and, and so forth so we don't disclose any particular company's um, you know, situation or details. Um, that'll all be done. The, the research has to be done, as I say. It's all going to be done according to our ethics um, and, our, and our research protocols so that it can stand up to um, critical review and analysis. Okay, so obviously if people do get an invite, we'd love them to be involved and that's their opportunity, I guess, to add their voice to the research in terms of what are the barriers and what's holding them back. Um, we look forward that's to right. seeing that and obviously that's some way down the track and we might well get you back on to talk further about that research when it's actually, firstly, when it's launched, but also when the results are published. It'd be interesting to see what those yeah. findings were when they actually come out. So we've been joined today by Professor Adam Steen from Charles Sturt University. Adam, thanks for your insights. We'll definitely get you back on. There's lots more we can learn in this space, I'm sure. But thanks for your time today. Thanks very much for having me on. You've been listening to the Attaché Mid-Market Matters Show. Thanks very much, and we look forward to seeing you next time. Thanks for listening to SME Radio and the Mid-Market Show with Craig West. Powered by Eagle Waves Radio. Don't forget to follow us on iTunes, check us out on Facebook, and you can comment on Twitter. Catch you next time.